0: Hi, welcome to Black Imagination, where Antoine and I open up our black space to our black and brown friends doing dope things in Milwaukee's arts and culture scene. Black Imagination is a part of the Imagine MKE podcast network.
1: So go get out your sage sticks, light some incense and join the conversation. Be sure to follow us at Imagine MKE on all your favorite social media platforms and subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: And now here's the show.
1: It's like things you didn't know. Like, I didn't know that you don't have to step in order to be in a
2: fraternity.
0: Ah. Oh, that's news.
2: Interesting. I mean, yeah, because, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, you can have some folks who, uh, who, who do not necessarily play that role. You know, everybody recognizes where their skill set is. You know? I'm a, uh, a moderately to not very talented stepper. And so <laughs> I, I did step in my fraternity. It, it always took, took me longer to figure out what the hell I was doing, but uh, I managed to keep up. But it took me a long time to get there.
0: So which fraternity are you Are you a part
2: of? Uh, I'm an alpha.
0: Oh, black and gold.
2: Black and gold, the black, the black, the black, and old gold. Yes.
0: Hey.
1: Ooh. This is nice. This is some nice pre-podcast <laughs> talking. Hey everybody, welcome to Imagine Milwaukee. My name is Antoine. And I'm here with Kanita, my co-hosting partner in crime on these podcasts. And um, we are here today with the commissioner of the Department of City Development, Lafayette Crump. Is it, did I say your name right?
2: I, I say Lafayette, uh, which is somewhere between Lafayette and Laf- Lafayette. It, it's right in the middle. It rides the, rides the vowels.
0: Lafayette.
2: Yes.
1: Lafayette, Lafayette, Lafayette.
2: It. There we go, there we go. Yeah,
1: there we go, great, great. Okay, so thank you so much for joining us. Uh, like we said before, this is all about just just really hanging out. Mm-hmm. We bring our friends here to uh, to just chat. So I'm really glad you're here.
2: Well, I'm I'm excited it. to be here and excited to join the great chicken tender chicken nugget debate of 2020. <laughs> yes, I'm eating oh, chicken man. tenders
0: right now.
1: <laughs> you know, uh, you know I do my research. <laughs> you You want to know what's funny? Too, we were just talking before about the we won't say where she got it from, but the mashed the macaroni and cheese is trash.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, oh! The the food that you got today—the mac and yeah.
1: cheese is trash. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now the mac and cheese is trash. I think. Uh, sh- could you describe it again, Kanita?
0: So what I will say is that it is not. Um, you can tell that it's not from like a soul food restaurant. Mm. So you can tell that it's not somebody's like, mama in a satin bonnet or hairnet who's not using a recipe card at all, you can tell that this is not that.
2: Is there a wateriness?
0: There's not a wateriness. It's it's not incredibly seasoned. It it doesn't, it's not, um, incredibly creamy. Mm -hmm. Um, though it, it feels like they've probably used a cheese sauce. Like if it feels a, like a
2: cheese like substance.
0: A cheese like so like, yeah, so this is it's it's very interesting. I was like, oh no, this isn't. This isn't it. This isn't <laughs> it. But you gotta, but you gotta try it, right? You gotta try everything on the menu to kind of get a feel for it. Um, but yeah, the, the, the tenders are banging though,
2: well, that's good. I, I don't know that I agree that you have to try everything on the menu. Uh sometimes <laughs> maybe you can make an educated guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this would be one of those times where I should have taken that. Process. Okay. But I okay. was like, let me just lean into this and um, right. let's see what happens. And I appreciate you bringing up the chicken nugget, chicken tender thing because since we're family, Yes. Um, our mm-hmm. our lovely, beautiful boss, our CEO, David, hated that segment in the first
1: <laughs> Yes. Hated he it.
0: hated it. Really? Like, sent us notes like, if you're not gonna take it out, just cut it down. But all mm. of the feedback I've gotten from folks is like, "Yo, but what's up with these chicken nuggets and tenders?" So right, right.
1: <laughs> the streets—that's the question <laughs> that the streets always. Right, the streets want to know. <laughs> well, yes. So great.
0: So you know, one thing so- that I wanted to know, uh, Lafayette, is um, about the DNC. Oh, okay. And so, just in terms of, I'm really curious about what did that transition look like for your team? Um, mm-hmm. Because you played a major role.
1: Major, that, role. Right?
0: A <laughs> major role. Major role, and whether it was gonna be physical or virtual, you, um, and at first, and I also mentioned that I was so proud of you as a man of color for being able to have a lead position and for bringing on women of color um, to support you. I. I could not have been more happy for you but talk a little bit about um what the transition was like in terms of figuring out how did you convert it into this virtual event
2: right well i'll say this that one of the things that i really appreciated about my time with the host committee was just the 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 level of professionalism to pull off uh you know an event of this magnitude and the level of Different resources that that came into Milwaukee. Um, it is it's obviously a shame that the DNC is not going to be at all what we thought it would be uh, for Milwaukee when it was announced. Um, you know, all, all the excitement we had and what what it was going to do for the the city's esteem and all that good stuff. Um, you know, it's it's just not going to be that. But what it did do was, I think, got our businesses ready for an event like that, and it highlighted a lot of the talent that already exists in this city. Um, And so when when you mention, you know, uh, and I appreciate your comments about about me being involved and all of the, uh, you know, the people of color and women of color who were doing amazing work for the host committee, these are talented people who have been doing good work in this city for some time, and they're just getting an opportunity, you know, to to get a little bit of, of public exposure Um, And I think when you have a big event like this, that's what it does. So even though, um, you know, we're not gonna have the major event of all the people coming to town, everybody got a chance to get some of that experience and to to build, um, you know, not just their resume, but build their connections with each other and with other people. Um, And so we still benefit from that. Milwaukee still, you know, is going to be in a better place a year, five years from now, because we had um, that convention connection one way or another. And I think, you know, as it relates to the question about turning this thing virtual, um, I really think it was ultimately the only decision that could be made, Um, because you have to first look out for the residents of the city that you're doing this in, and then you have to look out for all of the people who are coming here. Um, And I I know that both the host committee and the, the Democratic National Convention Committee all held like a real sense of stewardship over what this was going to mean to Milwaukee. And if that meant spiking our COVID cases and having like six months from now, having a bunch of people sick or pass away because we got to put on a big show, that wouldn't have been beneficial for Milwaukee at all. So looking at the health concerns and looking at um, what that would be like, and also what it looks like in terms of whatever messaging would have been coming out of the governor's office or the mayor's office um, at the time of the convention. Like imagine how incongruous that would have been if we were telling everybody, stay home, don't get close, mask up, and then, oh, but by the way, 50,000 people are coming and it'll be just fine.
1: do you think Milwaukee will get a second chance at things? Do you think uh, as this connection was created, do you think uh, other opportunities will arrive that are just as big as the DNC that we can capitalize on?
2: Short answer for that is yes. And I really appreciate the way you ask that question because I think a, a lot of people, the way they frame this is, oh, Milwaukee got, um, got hosed by, by COVID, right? And by, by what happened this year. So we should automatically get the DNC in 2024. That, that, that's an idea that, that people have, like they should commit to it right now. Um, and while I can understand that perspective, it's really bigger than the DNC. It's really about, you know, what are the other hundreds of options that exist every single year. Um, I've had the uh, the honor of being on the Visit Milwaukee Diversity and Inclusion Advisory uh, Committee for the last couple of years. And I know uh, Peggy William Smith over there and the other folks on the advisory committee, uh, as well as the, the leadership of the board with Omar um, Sheikh are, are extremely interested in figuring out how to ensure not only that Milwaukee continues to get opportunities like this, but that also when they come, um, it benefits all different parts of the city. Um, And so that's how we have to look at this, that it's not that, oh, we lost the DNC. So hopefully four years from now, we get another big opportunity. It's how do we make sure we consistently get big opportunities? And when we get those opportunities, how do we make sure that it's not just the downtown business district that benefits from it?
0: And how do we do that? Because I know that that is something that we talked about um, when we were looking at DNC, but also I think in Antoine's work and my work at Imagine MKE, all of our work, we're really thinking about this equity piece, right? As it relates to arts and opportunities for um, everybody, all artists um, across sectors in Milwaukee and across ethnicities, right? Because that plays a role too. Um, So I'm curious as to your thoughts of how, how do we Um, How do we think through that to make sure that opportunities extend past certain neighborhoods?
2: Well, I think first of all, you have to be 100% committed to the idea of doing that and doing it successfully. It cannot be an afterthought. It can't be a nice to have. It has to be a critical element of whatever you are doing. Um, and so you you know when you do something like like imagining ke you you want to talk about arts within um, diverse communities you want to talk about arts involving people of color then maybe a thing that you do is you have a podcast called Black Imagination and you talk about <laughs> these things consistently and you put two black people on it and you give them you know uh, you know free reign to really explore certain things when you want to do something like um you know have an event and ensure that there are diverse opportunities for the business owners or for the workers you make that a critical component of what's going to happen um you don't just say um oh and we'd like you to explore having people from you know all different parts of the city you say things like oh we expect that 40% of the workers will come from marginalized communities, or we expect to see a diversity of the workforce or the businesses that you work with um, to match the population of the city or match the businesses that are here and and capable of, of doing work. And at the same token, not only do you tell people that that's what you're expecting, you help provide tools to make that happen. You have to recognize that if you tell people to go out and find however many uh, workers or businesses of color, but you haven't done anything to seed that marketplace or help them grow or help them be available for opportunities, then you're setting everybody up for failure and you're setting up potential cynicism um, for everyone involved. Um, you know, parties mm-hmm. will go out and they'll try to. They may try to comply or they may recognize that you're not really serious or they will pretend to have a business involved, but really pass it through <laughs> to someone else. Or they'll have some workers on site doing things that don't really contribute to what's being done, but they're just there for numbers. Um, but And then those mm-hmm. people also don't develop skill sets. Um, and so, you know, if you bring it back to, to, to arts, if you... If, if um, you know, diverse artists and diverse voices are really important, you act very intentionally about that um, and you make sure that people are involved, um, you know, at every step from the execution of idea to even uh, idea generation um, and, and those who put things together because we know that when you have diverse people making decisions about um, pulling ideas together and not just executing someone else's vision, that's where you truly get that diversity of thought um, and you're able to develop more and more people to contribute.
1: And and I think also, too, that the respect of others, of that, of whatever comes from that. Mm -hmm. Because I think... um, oftentimes, if it is a black idea, then it is viewed, it's viewed as a good idea, but sometimes not as good as a white idea. Mm-hmm. Or, <laughs> or if that white idea or if that black idea was just said from a white
2: mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <I> mean, you're, <laughs> and, you're, you're, um, you're right about that. Oh, go on, continue.
1: No, no, no. And I just think uh, the element of respect is is going to be crucial as neighborhoods start to determine what is theirs because it will be of everyone's benefit if everyone can enjoy art
2: the way they would like yeah and Kanita, i know you can you can appreciate this uh you know the, the intersectionality of that right because i'm sure you hear those words you think yeah it's not just when it's a black idea but it's also as a woman and particularly a woman of color, you, yep, you say something yep. and people float right on by it. Uh, but then let a male repeat it or let a white male repeat it. And then say, oh, yep. what, a, what a fascinating idea. And you're thinking, <laughs> oh, it wasn't fascinating five minutes ago when I said it. You or know? a white woman. Right. Oh, right, Absolutely. Absolutely. And so and we have to get to a point, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, we've all encountered this where we have to be honest that it's not just white people who see things that way. Sometimes it's even our own people who think Mm -hmm. um, that's not a, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's not a good product. That's not a good idea. If it's coming from a black person that they're waiting to hear someone else put their stamp of approval on it. Um, And then we can think, Oh, it's a good idea or it's something that might actually work. So we have to, we have to think about and check ourselves with respect to that too. Definitely.
0: So, To transition into your new role. Right. So tell us about the new role and and what that really encompasses.
2: Sure. Um, so I was um, confirmed on Wednesday, July fifteenth, to be the Commissioner of the Department of City Development for the city of Milwaukee. Um, And so in that role. I'm a member of Mayor Barrett's cabinet. I am responsible for Uh, a great deal of the economic development that happens within the city of Milwaukee. That includes um, growing businesses in the city, bringing businesses to the city, uh, overseeing our tax incremental financing, which is a tool to help um, do construction Um, to generate greater property tax revenue for the city, which, and we know how important property taxes are to funding um, things like education and other things in the city. We can talk a whole other time about whether or not that's the best way and the most equitable way to fund education, but it's what we have right now. Uh, The role also um, uh, is also to ensure uh, that there's plenty of affordable housing in the city of Milwaukee. Um, you know, the way that I, I look at th- this position, um, and I've got a staff of about 80 people who support this work, who are brilliant and, and dedicated people. You know, from the moment I was um, uh, announced as a mayor's candidate, the uh, DCD, uh, not least of which uh, le- led by Rocky Marcoux, who I have the, uh, both the, the honor and the daunting task of following uh, because he did a lot of great things over the last 16 years. Um, the, the staff was just incredible in prepping me for this and, you know, to, to a person, uh, all super dedicated to the idea of public service. Um, and the the fact that that kind of, um, you know, underscores all of the work that they do and, and that we do, uh, is one of the things that's most, um, most honorable and special about this work for me, that when I come into work uh, each day, uh, and it's odd coming into an office again, cause I've been primarily working from home. Um, but thinking about that, the work that I do is for the people in the city of Milwaukee. Um, and that that's a real privilege. Um, and I see this as being a, a role dedicated to ensuring that Milwaukee is A city of choice for businesses and for residents. Um, I'm sure the two of you can relate to people who have asked you, Why are you still here? Why uh, did Mm -hmm. you decide to make Milwaukee your home? Oh, you must have so many opportunities to be elsewhere. Why would you stay? And that is a question that I think every um, Black person who Has, you know, who has had the benefit of getting a certain level of education or a certain level of success or viewed as successful because we all know there's so many tiers of how people see success. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you you get asked, why would you stay here? And I really want to eliminate that question. I want Milwaukee to be a place where people are excited to be uh, and a place where people think about coming. Uh, where people think that's the city I want to be in because the people there are dope, because the opportunities are dope, because there are so mm-hmm. many dope places to live. That's what I want Milwaukee to be. So that's part of my vision and my, my mission. Uh, and I think we've got a staff, uh, an administration, and a council who can be very helpful in making that vision a reality.
1: A lot of my work is in the communities and working with like bids. And a lot of times there are businesses that may be ready or properties that are ready that need vendors or people to put inside. I know that is Mm -hmm. a chicken and an egg question, but what do you think comes first? (laughs)
2: Right. What comes first, the uh, the developing the property or having people clamoring to be in a space? Yeah,
1: yeah. What? And I only ask that just because, as we start to develop our work in year two of having staff and imagine, I definitely think businesses and um, commerce will be more on our mind in filling these spaces with people who can create in their own like with people relative to them people who who complement the spirit that they have not just being black but Mm -hmm. just complimenting the energy or whatever they need how do you feel that like what is missing and what need what's the easiest thing to
2: fix do you think Mm. Oh, now see those; those are two extremely I different. I know. I wanted to change that. What's missing, and what's yeah. the easiest to fix? Well, let me let me let me conceptualize it this mm-hmm. way. So you you mentioned, I think, very astutely, it's a chicken or an egg situation, which comes first. But I, I think the larger question is: does do people want a chicken or an egg? Like, wh- where is the demand for either one of those? And so what we have to create is that demand, which comes from faith. I think that is the most important component, that people have faith. If they build a building, there will be people who want to locate inside of that that building. That people who think about locating in that building have to have faith that there are customers and there are employees who will come work for them. And so what we need to create, I think the most important thing is creating an an infrastructure and a belief in the city of Milwaukee that this is a place where all of those different elements are needed and available, where people want chickens and they want eggs and you can go get them. And so I think that is the key and we have to do that every step of the way. So one of the exciting things about this position is just the ability to be in the room with people who are thinking about and executing on things like that. Um, For it not to be odd for me to want to talk to the superintendent of, of MPS about what's going on in MPS to prepare students of color to be in the development space or to be business owners. That it's not an odd idea for me to flip through the newspaper and see a business located in Milwaukee that's thinking about building a second facility In Oak Creek or in Mequon, and me calling them up and saying, "What would it take for you to actually do that in Century City or at Northridge or in Walker's Point or elsewhere?" You know, on the south side, that those conversations are conversations I want to have with people, and I think they'll be interested in talking to me about that because potentially I'm a conduit to incentives that can make that happen. I am a conduit to workforce development programs that can make them comfortable enough to make those decisions. Um, So we really just, we have to create an ecosystem where people have faith that if they do build or they do locate somewhere, that that is going to work out well for them.
0: You know, I appreciate you bringing up Century City because that area just, it, has my heart, my parents have owned a home in that area um, since, well, my mother rather, since 1987. And um, even just listening to you talk, I was like, man, wouldn't that be cool for me, my company to eventually have office space in Century City, right? Like it's right there, like we, I grew up in this area. So um, I appreciate you lifting up them specifically because I think this part of town um gets forgotten about and somebody who's lived on you know between Capitol and hampton most of my life and then moved to 60th and brown deer um and was there for 10 years and saw what happened to brown deer between 76 and 91st right. target left the Man. walmart left uh circuit
1: North- city left and my mom loved that
0: place You saw all, and so you see this stretch of Milwaukee and Brown Deer Road itself is really interesting because it's like four different municipalities as you're going east to west. Um, So thank you for lifting them up too, because again, I think often the north sides of Milwaukee um, just kind of become folks' wasteland. Um, And even, you know, when we were going into the office, I would take Hopkins, down to 20th and take that to um, our office in um, no studios. And it's like, man, what would it take to be able to revitalize these areas? Every time I drive past a board at home, I think about what happened to that family. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. were their stories, right? What, what becomes of them?
2: Where are they now?
0: Where are they now? And so often those things get lost. But um, to your point, I think Milwaukee is this incredible place and I think what happens when people like you or myself or Antoine or other folks leave um we take our talents with them with us um and really make the city devoid of what we can offer because no one can quite no one can do what we do quite like us and so Mm -hmm. when we give it to an Atlanta or we give it to a Charlotte um we we leave Milwaukee and we leave that generation of folks coming behind us. I, we, so here on the show, we send out pre-interview questionnaires, because mm-hmm. um, we try to be professional. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I read that you were a political cartoonist in high school. Um, and so I'm curious, how do you go from that space <laughs> in high school into law and to mm-hmm. where you are now? Like That's a quite, that's quite a trajectory.
2: It's an interesting trajectory uh, indeed. Um, I think um, th- but there is a through line, right? like we 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 talk about nurture and nature and 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 who you are. And I'm sure you know, everybody's got stories about, oh, when you were four years old, this is how you acted. and I can see that right now. you know this this is mm-hmm. this is who you've always been. And I think one thing that I've been interested in is, how do people with a level of power or influence use that power and influence? What do they do with it, and how much do they listen to other people who are asking or, or begging them to use it on their behalf? So, you know, a, as a political cartoonist, uh, you know, I like to draw. I was opinionated. I thought I knew everything in the world. So let me draw some political cartoons. And I, and I would draw political cartoons about what was happening out in the real world, you know, or out in the, the larger world. I would draw cartoons about what was happening at the school. Um, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an okay artist. It is not something that I um, continue to train in. I took a uh, a few courses in art um, in college uh, but I, I was the type of artist who could draw something not bad and then as soon as I had, just had to add colors to it I ruined it like, like you could see like the outline and the outline was real cool but then my painting or my, my, my marker skills <laughs> were not up to par and so it was like nah just maybe leave that for somebody else you know um, so uh, you know, did the, the political cartooning and did different drawings for people uh in college, drew some some fraternity flyers and, and things of that nature. Um and you know, ultimately when thinking about what I wanted to do uh with with my career for a minute, I thought I was going to be an engineer. Um, I thought that I was going to design prod products and then go into business helping to sell those products and and maybe run uh, a company that that made things one day um and it was after the the summer of my freshman year had an internship out in pennsylvania i was working for some offshoot of at and and i was around around real engineers who loved it you know who were like trying to figure out how these different machines could talk to one another and you know they they were trying to figure it out. So so they spent like all day trying to make it happen. And and you could see the excitement in their faces every time it failed, but they were getting one step closer to understanding it. And the whole time my eyes were glazing over and I was just like, this is not me. I can't do four years of this. What do I like to do? Mm -hmm. I like to, I like to read. I like to analyze things. I like to write. I like to try to be persuasive and it hit me. Oh, of course, you want to be an attorney. That that's the job that you want. And so went back to school. Um, you know, after my freshman year, uh, just figured out what what courses did I need to take um, to to still get out uh, in four years. Uh, so ended up becoming a history major, uh, where there was still you know a connection to how do politics and power and influence shape the decisions that are made. Um, came out of law school worked, um, you know, big law firms for about five years, and then entered this space of um, diversity and inclusion and business and workforce development through a business called Prism Technical uh, that my parents had founded while I was still in school. And through that work started to get this opportunity of uh, really working on large scale construction projects and development projects, and really starting to think about, um, you know, what do these major projects mean for people who live in a community? And what does it mean for people who grow up in a city like Milwaukee and see something like a a FISER forum get built and maybe see it on TV or maybe come down to the Deer District, but are not necessarily involved in helping to construct it or build it. And luckily, we're in a place now where a project like that does have a lot of people from the community working on it. Um, But years ago, that may have been very different
0: well i would I would offer up that um even though you didn't get an engineering degree that certainly you are doing design work certainly um you're designing um along with the rest of your team um, a new Milwaukee a, mm. a, a, a reimagined milwaukee that that includes a, a bit more space at the table um for everybody and um you made the choice to to come back home and and um and serve, serve us. And so we're, we're, we're blessed to have you here. So thank you. Uh,
2: well, I, I appreciate that. And I am, I am privileged to be here and be in a, a role where I can help, uh, help make a difference and help make others people's, um you know, dreams happen. So
1: talking about something a little lighter, what, so we
2: met during the virus, no like doubt.
1: we're, we're Corona friends. We're, we're Corona buddies. So it, it
2: is. And I, and I think you, you and I share, share some sensibilities. Uh, you know, we, 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 we have certain lines that were like, Now, wait a minute. What <laughs> was something
1: yes. art and culture wise that you consume? That was, that's worth talking about on this podcast.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, when you ask about, you know, what, what am I doing? Maybe what am I binging? The thing that immediately comes to mind is the television show Hannibal and all of the um, Hannibal Lecter movies. Uh, my partner Katie and I ha- have binged those uh, through, through this period. And what's, what's really interesting about that as as sick of a character, obviously, as Hannibal Lecter is, is first of all, the television show, the art direction is beautiful. The the psychology of the two main characters, uh, Hannibal Lecter and the person who is uh, chasing him, which I think is a a trope you see throughout fiction and history, uh, is really intriguing to see um, what their psychological relationship um, is like. And then comparing it to these other movies about the same characters that have been interpreted by different filmmakers um, over the years. So it's really interesting seeing um, one character or one set of relationships and how different people interpret it. Uh, it's kind of reminiscent for me of the fact that a lot of the music that I, I liked growing up, um, sometimes my favorite songs were the remixes. Like I like it when you, I like the, the, base, the base product, but then when you take that and you remix it, Thank you, Puff Daddy, for claiming to reinvent the remix or inventing the remix, um, but when you, when you remix it and you get to see the earliest elements, but now you take it in a different direction, it has always been something that I've enjoyed, and I like that with the, uh, the Hannibal series as well.
1: Do you think Puffy invented the
2: remix? Of course not, but he, but he took it to perhaps another level.
0: I mean, but, he did a whole album of remixes. He did, he did do that. And it was good. It was great. It was better than the originals. (laughs) It was, it was. I mean, you can't tell me I need a girl. Like the remix? Yeah. Like Loon and yeah, that was, that was a vibe.
2: Those are great. Man around the world, the remix was better,
0: right?
1: Like, yes. Yeah, it was. Carl Thomas Thomas was 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 melodic.
2: Incredible.
0: Incredible. Mm
2: -hmm. Who's your favorite rapper? Wow. So my favorite rapper, um, I think, I mean, for years it was, it was Tupac. Um, But when you, like, when I think about what my favorite rapper is, there obviously are so many different elements. It's like picking an MVP. Like, is it the lyrics? Is it the Mm -hmm. beats that they rap over? Is it, is it the message? Is it the, the other things that, um, that they convey even outside of the music? Um, you know, Kanye West, who I have appreciated at different points of his career, is making it a lot easier for me not to even consider him my favorite rapper. Uh, so man, I, don't, I don't even I have to necessarily include him in the thought process. Um, I, know you, I know how that is, man. I know how you feel. But the you know the thing that I loved about Tupac, and I am not unique at all in this respect, is just the complexity of what he was willing to do both lyrically and as a person in his interviews, you know, for the same person um, who can uh, do Hit Up and Dear Mama and, you know, just all of the different things that that he expressed. I I often think what a a loss it is for, for our country, and I don't think I'm overstating this, to not have had Tupac's commentary either on you know lyrically or just in interviews over the last 10 15 years or uh i mean man it's been 24 years was it 96 when, when yeah. did that? yeah it was like 96 I 97 mean, yeah um it was 96
0: because i think biggie was 97 march yeah was 97.
2: biggie died in 97 yeah yeah march 9th march 9th yeah sad day yeah,
0: yeah. those were two sad days
2: yeah um still i i remember pulling over in my car in north carolina when i heard on the radio that uh that tupac had passed also because i mean he was such a mythical figure you just assumed he was going to be fine Yeah, you thought tupac was going to make it through yeah
1: so have you reached that point in hip-hop where you don't listen to the young to the youngins yet
2: okay so so here's the point i am with hip-hop is that i have a 13 year old daughter
0: who listens
2: to all of the youngins and who I have begrudgingly accepted that it's <laughs> going to happen, right, that not only is she gonna listen to some of the, these lyrics that are obviously quite questionable, but that also she's going to appreciate some of them, but I, you know, who are very different from the rappers that I, that I grew up loving, um, but I, I have to respect some of her choices. You know, um, some, some of these cats are, are pretty talented. You know, uh, Juice World. You know, unfortunately, we've lo- lost him, but I, I can appreciate him. Um, you know, some of the other stuff she listened to. She she was on a mission to convince me that uh, XXX tentacion was the Tupac of his time. Wow! Uh, and so I ended up listening to some of his interviews and some of the things he said, and I had to say, okay, okay, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, so you know, and we also the- lost him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and. and- I just, you know,
1: crazy enough those are my seven-year-old's favorite rappers
2: hilarious hilarious so I was just gonna say luckily we we still have trippy red you know we, we still got some of these other folks that are still still kicking around and, and hopefully they they will you know
1: I think there are I think if you continue to listen you'll start to find people who sound in the realm that you that's like refreshing to you because like I listen to YBN Corday. Mm. And he, he sounds like a, like someone my age or someone with someone thinking about the same things that I am, but he's like mad young. I think he dates, uh, Naomi, uh, Oh, from the tennis player, Naomi. Oh, okay.
2: Uh, Osaka. Yeah. Yeah, Osaka.
1: Osaka. Yeah. I think he dates her. Okay. But uh, lots of, he has a, a lot of J. ish type thing. Okay.
2: So but and, you know where I also am right now is my, my brain has to take a moment to say, oh, YBN Corday, is that not YnW Melly? Like yeah, I'm sitting here, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it and, it and takes a moment to switch.
1: And then you don't want to dive into the depths of N NBA Youngboy or oh NLE Choppa. Okay. Oh my gosh. It's it's almost a job to learn what those initials are.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's,
1: that's the old guy in me. Oh, these initials. You were just little, <laughs> right? You were either little or young or big.
0: That wasn't <laughs> right, your right. name
1: before. That was it. But some of those are like gamer tags. Like,
2: hmm. that makes sense.
1: I think one of those groups, I think YBN started off as a gamer group. Okay. And then they all started like rapping and doing other like creative things. Okay. So, um, so you yeah. come to
0: Black Imagination Podcast and you get great stories, you get great interviews, but you also get a little education. So uh, exactly. we just gave you something to chew on and uh take that with you on your lunch break.
1: Yes. We want to thank you. Thank you so much, Lafayette. Lafayette. Yes, thank you. Lafayette.
2: It has been my pleasure. Very enjoyable.
1: All right. Do you feel like uh you feel like you had your white people voice off?
2: <laughs> I, I y- y- y'all tell me y'all tell me I, I feel like- I feel
1: like I feel like you did. I feel like you can put it back on for your next meeting if you need it. Yep. if okay. not you know just you know set it on the table for a little bit. Right. Just, you know
2: what I'm trying to do is I, I am trying to I'm trying to meld them, right? I'm trying to be my authentic self at all times. So I, I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to you know eliminate some of the code switching. And just be Lafayette at all times.
0: And so here's what's interesting about that: <laughs> our intro to our show, we that we pre-recorded, we say, um, "Bring your sage," and that uh-huh. there is no code switching allowed. Like the the way for us to to do this show, the way we wanted it to, is we had to, you know, allow folks to come into the space as they were and mm-hmm. to be able to kind of remove the cool. Um yeah. And let's just have some conversations and, and engage with folks Our one of our previous uh, um, interviews. She cursed uh, like three times. And so uh-huh. Antoine and I was like, so do we advocate to keep the cussing? And I'm like, yes, we advocate to keep the cussing. Yeah, that's not cold switching like we we got to keep it. So,
2: mm-hmm. so, I, f- we- so you, I feel like it, it it's what is the cussing? Right. Mm-hmm. And at, at some point, maybe you have to debate, oh, somebody said the N-word, we, we leave that in. Right. You know, so it's 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 levels. Yeah.
0: It, it's levels. We, we're we cool with a couple F-bombs. The F-bombs it, are all right. I think if, uh-huh. if words were involved, if people were quoting lyrics, we might, we might have to have a conversation. Yeah, they yeah. They might take our show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Where black we're imagination goes too far. <laughs> We're keeping it real goes too far.
2: Keeping it real goes too far. Oh, no.
1: So thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you coming. And uh Yeah,
2: thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the interest.
1: One last question. One last question. What are some of your favorite Milwaukee artists?
2: Oh, wow. Wow. Um I need to get better at understanding who are some of the Milwaukee artists to be to be honest I have and I got to give it up you know for my partner uh, Katie who has helped introduce me to people and I will ride for for the Luna crew
0: hey.
2: um, and Las Artes, who have many extremely talented artists in their crew uh, I was actually just talking to someone back at the host committee uh, who was asking me when are you gonna get some Luna art up on your walls? And so um, I, I am sure that I will do that, uh, whether yes. it be uh, Gabby Riveros or uh, some of the other folks. Uh, Nicola this- Costa. Nicola Costa, oh I got her photography? Wow.
0: She the yes. one who was cussing on the show, by the way. It was her. Oh, is
2: that right? That is no <laughs> yeah. surprise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell her I said it.
1: Yeah, it was her. It was her. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Black Imagination with Antoine and Kanita. Black Imagination is a part of the Imagine MKE podcast. Be sure to rate us five stars, share a positive review. It really helps people find us. Also, be sure to email us at pod at imagine MKE. Don't forget to like us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under imagine underscore MKE. Anything else you'd like to mention, Kanita?
0: You can also find us on Facebook at Imagine MKE. So, uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you on the next show.
1: All right. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day.